Hey guys, it's Easter weekend, and uh, we're taking a little bit of a break from Ecclesiastes because I wanted us to think about the resurrection. I wanted us to start uh, to contemplate more. What does that mean for our lives? Uh, certainly around this time of year, hopefully at least, every single year, we set aside time, you set aside time on Easter weekend to think about the resurrection, to think about what that means for you. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, when he talks about it, he says, look, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then we're wasting our time. Then we're of all men most to be pitied. Basically he's saying, look, we're fools because we're following a myth and a lie. Because if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then nobody's going to be raised from the dead. And so certainly there's that element of the resurrection. And it's, it's immensely important to us when we think about our future eternity. That if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then, then we're still in our sins. Because that resurrection was God's stamp of approval on the sacrifice of Christ. Saying, yes, this has been acceptable. And Christ being the innocent offering overcomes death. Death couldn't hold on to him, right? So Jesus rises from the dead. Paul says, if he's risen, we're all going to one day also leave the, the, the grave, rise as well to be with him. So there's that hope there. But I also want us to think about, and I want you to think about with me, what difference should the resurrection make to me today? What difference should it make to me, not just around Easter, but every single day of my life? Why does the resurrection matter to me Monday through Sunday? What, what gives with all of this? Why is it not just simply a doctrine that I say, okay, let me check the box. I believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection, so my sins are forgiven, and one day I'm going to go to be in heaven. Great, now let's move on. No, 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 no. The resurrection matters immensely to us every single day. Why? Well, let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, as we get a, at least a beginning of wrapping our minds around why. Paul says this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, there's the resurrection, right? If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Salvation is a, a life-transforming event. At least it should be, right? There's a, a total uh, re rebirth. In fact, that's how Jesus described it in, in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. When he comes and he says, hey, what, must, what, are you, what are you talking about, teacher? What must I do basically to be saved? And Jesus says, look, if somebody wants to be in the kingdom of God, you have to be reborn. You have to be made brand new. This doctrine is called regeneration. It's a total transformation. The old is gone, the new is here. Scripture des describes this total transformation pretty vividly for us. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul says this. He says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So you see there, the, the illustration is death and life, right? You've been united to the death like Christ. You will be united to the resurrection like Christ because of his resurrection. Now, in the meantime, walk in newness of life. Or how about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5? There the Apostle Paul says that before Christ, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So you see the stark contrast again laid out there between who we were before Christ and who we are now in Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now in Christ you have been made alive. You've been reborn. You've been made brand new. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. If then you have been raised with Christ, Colossians 3.1, if you've been united with Christ to walk in newness of life, the way he says it in Romans 6, if that's you, if you've been made alive, the way he talks about it in Romans 4, if you've been, or in Ephesians 2, sorry, if you've been made alive with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above if you've been raised with Christ. The contrast is implied, right? It's implied that then before Christ, we're not seeking the things above. We're not seeking God. We're not pursuing God before Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear in Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. He says, as it is written, no one is righteous. No, not even one. No one understands. Here it is. No one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. There is no such thing as as somebody who's seeking for God without God first drawing them to himself. And so, but, but what Paul is saying in our text now is he's saying, but look, the resurrection changes all of that. Now, in Christ, as you've been raised from the dead, as you have been raised to walk in newness of life, Paul says, now you should be, instead of seeking the things below, you should be seeking the things that are above. You and I have been made alive together with Christ, and we can praise God for that, worship him for that. But if that's true, y'all, our life should be totally different. Students, your life should have a brand new direction. In fact, that's our first point together this week. It's this. Examine your life's trajectory. Examine your life's trajectory. What is it that you are seeking? What is it that you are striving after? What is it that you are pursuing? What is it that you desire? What is it that you want in your life? What is your life's trajectory right now? Some of you have had this experience where you've changed majors mid-course. You went into college saying, hey, I'm going to pursue this study. I'm going to be this when I graduate. And you got into that major and you started to realize, "Ah, I don't really like this too much. And you pulled the e-brake on it, right? And you went to the registrar's office and you said, hey, I I need to declare for a new major. And you left the old major behind, right? Well, just like... That, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense when you go back for the next semester for you to, to continue taking the classes in your old major, would it? It wouldn't make sense for you to continue to give yourself to studying your old major. No. Why? Because you've made a, a change. You have a new trajectory. You have an, a new direction in your life. You're no longer pursuing the old field of study. You now have a new field of study, and you're going to give yourself completely to that pursuit rather than the old pursuit. Because to pursue the old would be distracting. It would be pointless. It would be worthless, right? Well, that's a little bit of like of what Paul is driving at here. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Leave behind your old pursuits. Leave behind your old style, your old way of life, and now live for Christ. Seek Christ. Seek the things that are above. Even if you've got one of the more tame testimonies, 
You were raised in the church. You went to Awana. You were there in the edge. You were there in the narrow. You were there in True North. And now you're in the bridge and you're going, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I was saved. And I can kind of point to this time in my life where I was saved. But I, I was never just a, a really wicked kid or evil kid or sinful kid or anything like that. Y'all, even if that's your testimony, there's a moment in your life where your trajectory changed, where you went from living for yourself, where you went from a a trust in yourself, when you went from a state of self-righteousness to a state of complete and total trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your trajectory then changed, and you began to seek things that are above, to live for Him. So students, as we think about the resurrection and what it does for our life today, one of the things it should do is change the way that your life looks. So I want to ask you some questions. As you think about your life, do you see this change in trajectory when it comes to your motives, when you think about what you're pursuing and why you're pursuing those things? Has your relationship with Christ changed your, your, your direction? Has it informed why you're doing things, why you're pursuing your goals, your plans, your dreams? How about your, your care and concern for other people? Have you experienced a, a, a shift in that? where now you're looking to serve other people, not because of what they can give you, but because you love God and in loving God, that's going to overflow in a love for other people as well. Has that changed? Has that transformed about your life? Are you seeking the things above and how you love one another? How about your, your growth in godliness? Are you battling sin? Are you putting sin off now in a new way as you are in Christ? Because your life has changed and you are now seeking the things above. And so the sins that you once loved, the sins that you once pursued, the sins that you once gave yourself over to, are you actively fighting and battling and waging war against those things now because you are in Christ and you are seeking the things that are above? The things that you value. Has that changed? Maybe prior to Christ, you valued, well, I want the most money that I can get. I want the best house that I can get. I want the most attractive spouse that I can get. I want to have the best family that I can have. And I want to be as successful as I can possibly be. And that's where your values were. But now maybe in Christ, your trajectory has changed and you value something different now. You value, I want to be faithful to the Lord. You you, you say, you know what, My, my greatest value now is that when I'm done here on earth, I want to hear the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Whatever that looks like for my life here, that's my aim. My aim, whether in life or death, is to please Christ with everything that I have. Has your trajectory changed now as you seek the things above? Your concern for eternal things. Again, for storing up rewards where neither moth nor rust can destroy nor thieves break in and steal. Are you thinking about obeying the Lord and storing up treasure for yourself in heaven? Has the trajectory of your life changed? To seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, means that our life's goals, our life's agenda, our our life's direction becomes God's goals, God's agenda, God's direction, God's will about our lives. There's that transformation. We've gone from death to life, and now we're no longer living for ourselves but we're living for Christ. One of the clearest areas where we're going to notice this change in trajectory on a day-to-day basis is in our thought life, in our minds. And that's where the Apostle Paul goes next in verse 2. He says, set your minds on the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. And now he says this, by setting your minds, filling your minds, filling your thoughts with the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So much about the direction, the trajectory of your life, as we've termed it, is informed by and and guided by your thought life. What you dwell on. What fills your mind during your free time. What fills your mind as you're planning. 
What fills the mind as, as you're daydreaming, as you're thinking about your future? Or even on the flip side, the things that fill your mind that cause you anxiety. The things that, that come into your mind that cause you to be fearful. All of those things, as, as you think about whatever it is that you think about on a day-to-day basis, those are informing the trajectory of your life, the direction of your life. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, now because you've been raised with Christ, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that should inform your thought life. You should be thinking differently. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul actually says it very bluntly there for us. He says, for the unbeliever, that the God of this world, that Satan has blinded this area of their lives. He's blinded the minds of the unbeliever there, right? And so Paul explains to us that that the, the unbeliever is unable to do what he's calling you to do right now. They're unable to set their minds on the things above. And before Christ, that was all of us. We were consumed with what this world could offer us that would give us peace and joy and satisfaction, Or we were thinking about, what can I do to to satisfy my fleshly appetites? We schemed and we planned for only the things that would benefit and and give us the the most success, wealth, money, status, power. And we suffered great anxiety as, as we looked around the world and realized there was so much that was outside of our control and we had no hope to overcome that or transcend that. And we feared when we couldn't understand those things and we became obsessed even with, with trying to find the answers that this world offered us. And then ultimately, we became depressed when we realized there was no hope that this world could offer us. And that's what Solomon's been talking about in the book of Ecclesiastes even, right? Our mind is such a battlefield, students. Our mind controls so much about the direction of our lives. And as followers of Christ, the good news is your mind is no longer blinded by the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That the, the, the veil has been removed, that we no longer have a mind that's been blinded, but God has shown into our hearts and given us the knowledge of Christ, that he's transformed us, that we are now different. We were dead, now we are made alive. And so now, students, the, the call on your life, on my life, is to set our minds on the things that are above. You know, this is... Uh, an ongoing thing. This is an intentional effort that's going to involve a, a daily process of disciplining yourself to set your mind on the things above. Paul uses a present active imperative, meaning this is supposed to be keep on doing these things. It's not just a one-time deal. This is not a set it and forget it recipe. Your thought life is not like that, right? You have to continually be giving attention, continually setting your minds on the things above, not even just daily, but even hour by hour, moment by moment. You need to have this mindset that says, I'm going to continually win the battle for my thoughts. In fact, that's point number two for us this week. It's this, daily win the battle for your thoughts. Daily win the battle for your thoughts. It's point number two for us. You know, as you think about your thought life, there is a battle that's going on. As you think about your mind, whether you realize it or not, there's a battle for what fills your mind going on. And if you're not going to engage in that battle, the enemy is happy to fill your mind with all kinds of thoughts that are going to lead not to your holiness, but to an increased sinfulness in your life. And so you and I need to be engaging in this battle, engaging in this fight. And you may ask yourself, well, how do I do that? Do I wake up and say, mind, think about God? How do I actually set my mind on the things above? Well, I think Paul gives us in a different book a lot of help in this regard. Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those like kitsch gold towns or ghost towns or anything else where they have panning for gold and you can like pay five bucks to go get fool's gold from the stream. Or maybe you've actually been to a, a place where you can actually try to find real gold, though probably unsuccessfully, I would guess. But if you think back to when the, the gold boom was first happening and people were coming out, the 49ers, right, were coming out and they were going to the, the streams and the rivers. And what they would do is they would take this sieve, right, this, this round basket looking contraption that would have holes in it. And they would go into the, the silt, the, the dirt of the, the river, and they would scoop it up out of the water, and they would pull it up, and they would shake the sieve, right? And as they were shaking the sieve, what they were doing is they were allowing all of the sediment, all of the worthless, worthless things to pass through that sieve and to fall back into the water. Because why? It wasn't valuable. It wasn't helpful. It wasn't beneficial to them. And as they were doing that, what would happen is if there was any gold that was in there, the gold that was valuable would be left there in the sieve after they were done shaking it. And that was the valuable stuff. That's what they wanted. That's what they were after. That was where the, the, the real treasure was, was there in the gold. We all, Philippians 4.8 is the sieve for our minds. As you take your minds and you take the sieve of Philippians 4.8 and you scoop it into the silt, so to speak, of your thought life, and you begin to shake that sieve, Philippians 4.8, those things that he tells us to think about are like those holes. And the things that fall through and pass through are the things that are, are, are worthless, that we don't want anymore, right? Those, those are the things that don't hold up. But the things that do hold up, that's the gold of our thought life. That's how we win the battle for our thought life on a daily basis. So let's think about this grid again, this sieve. First, he says, whatever's true. Okay, that's pretty easy, right? But that one's so important, right? The enemy wants nothing more. Satan is, is called the father of lies, the enemy wants nothing more in your life, in my life, than to have us thinking about and believing lies. So we need to think about what's true. We need to take our thoughts and bring them to the word of God and ask ourselves, is the thing that I'm dwelling on, the thing that I'm thinking about, is it true according to the ultimate standard of truth, which is God's word? If not, we need to get rid of it. Discipline our minds to let that thought pass through and, and fade away because it's worthless. It's a lie. It's not going to help us or anyone else at all. How about honorable? Whatever is honorable. Those thoughts that are dignified, those thoughts that are, are even reverent or respectable. This is that element that you take a thought and you go, okay, if this thought was broadcast, as Pastor Mike often says, if we were to take your thought life and broadcast it on the screens for everybody, would you be okay with everybody seeing what you're thinking about right now? Is it respectable? Is it honorable? Would it pass that, that muster? If not, again, let it pass through that sieve and pass away. Get rid of it and have that discipline because it's not going to benefit you. It's not worthwhile. How about just? Whatever is just. Whatever is right, right? Whatever is morally upright, pure. Paul says think about those things. Again, if you're entertaining thoughts that don't measure up to that, you need to let that pass through and, and get rid of it because it's not, it's not the gold of your thought life that God wants you to entertain. Lovely. Whatever is lovely, whatever is acceptable and pleasing. That again, if, if your thoughts were broadcast, people would go, oh yeah, that's a great thought that you're entertaining right there. That's awesome. That's well, well done. I, that's, that encourages me to even think about the same thing that you're thinking about right now. That's a lovely thought. Whatever's commendable. It's appealing, right? Same kind of concept there. Yeah, this is good. This is a good thing to be thinking about. Whatever's excellent. 
It's virtually morally, virtuous and morally excellent, in other words, that, that these aren't impure thoughts that you're entertaining, that these aren't uh, evil, wicked thoughts that you're entertaining, but they're excellent and that they're worthy of praise. Not only to your peers, but also, more importantly, to God. Charles Spurgeon once said this, our thought life is speech before God. Our thought life is speech before God. Why? Because he knows our thoughts, right? We even see it in the Gospels. There's so many times, and I love these interactions, where Jesus is around the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are thinking something to themselves, right? And it says in the text that Jesus answered their thoughts. Why? Because he's God, and he knows what their thoughts are. God knows your thoughts. And so, men, students, we need to be thinking about these things, disciplining ourselves to get rid of the thoughts that aren't passing through this grid of Philippians 4.8. That's how you do battle daily for your thought life. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Again, the resurrection changes us. It transforms us. Now Christ lives in us. Why? What does that do to us? It changes our entire trajectory of our life. It changes our thought life. And it's also going to cause us to desire different things as well. See, students, when I find that I'm more in the word, when my thought life is filled more with the things that are above, with God's word, with the truth of God, when I find that I'm around other believers more, it changes my affections and my desires. Paul says in, in Colossians 3 in our text again, he says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You have died and your ultimate life, the life that is valuable and precious and worthy, right, which is eternal life, that's hidden with Christ in God. No one here can touch that. No one here can take that from you. And that life is with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, when he comes back, then you also will appear with him in glory. You know, there's so many things that we talk about. Oh, man, that's my life, right? Like if you play basketball, there's even shirts and things like that out there. Ball is life, right? I'm not one of those guys. I don't really even like basketball that much. But whatever, some people do. Ball is life, golf is life, dance is life, swim is life, shopping is life, whatever. Or maybe you're in a relationship and you think, man, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, they are my life. Well, the reality is none of those things are your life. If you're a follower of Christ, students, Christ is your life. Christ who is your life. What does that mean that Christ is my life? Well, a couple things. Number one, it means that he's the source of my life. Galatians 2.20, not just my eternal life, but my present life right now. Galatians 2.20, I read it a minute ago. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He is the source of my life. My life before God is sourced in Christ, but also he's the substance of my life. The source and the substance. Philippians 1.21, the apostle Paul says, for me to live is what? Christ. To live is Christ. The substance, everything about my life is about Christ. Christ who is my life. See, if Christ is your life, students, that's the type of life that you're going to live. Your life is going to be lived all about him. Everything you do is going to trace back to your relationship with him. Your desires and affections are going to be ruled by him. Your expectations, your dreams, your plans are going to be governed by him. You're going to feel a constant gratitude of all that he's done for your life, and you are going to love him and be thankful for him. You're going to have desires for him. 
And ultimately, that desire for him is going to be a desire to be with him. When Christ, who is your life, appears, that day that he comes back for his church, for his bride, then we will appear with him in glory. Students, do you desire that? That's the other thing that the resurrection of Christ has done for us. It's secured this future life for us, and we should desire that life, and we should desire that life with Christ. It's our final point together this week. It's this, desire Christ's presence. Desire Christ's presence. Students, I would say if you're misfiring on point number three, you're misfiring on point number two. In other words, if you don't desire to be with Christ right now, if you're sitting there going, yeah, I don't really want Jesus to come back right now. I don't know that I really want to be with him right now. I would say it's because there's a, a, a problem and a fault with point number two as well. And there may even be a problem and a fault with point number one, that you're not truly in Christ. But if you are in Christ and you're saying, I just, there's things here that I still want to do before I'm with Christ. Students, it's because you're not filling your mind enough with the word of God. It's, not, it's, it's because you're not setting your mind on the things above. Because if you were, then you would want to be with him and not here anymore. And so students, I want to challenge you. Do you desire his presence? But I want to challenge you even further to ask yourself this question. If you don't, I want to ask you this. Do you want to desire his presence? Do you want to be able to look at this world and say without hesitation, Jesus, come quickly? Do you want to be able to say, yes, Jesus is my life? If you do, here's where to start. Number one, as I've already alluded to, the Bible. Get in God's word and get in God's word more. If you want to desire Christ, then you need to be in the word of God. The word of God is going to stir your affections for Christ. It's going to cause you to long for Jesus. It's going to cause you to love Jesus, to want to be with Jesus. And so be in the Bible. Yes, I'm talking about daily Bible reading. Yes, I'm talking about doing the tan method, then, always, now. But I'm talking about more than that. I'm talking about memorizing Scripture. I'm talking about meditating on Scripture. Having your phone go off throughout the day with an alarm that causes you to remember what you read that morning. I'm talking about during your free time, when you have the option to turn on Netflix or you have the option to, to, to go to a, a video game, or you have the option to, to pick up a book, pick up the Bible instead and read God's word. Immerse yourself in God's word if you want to desire more of Christ. Sermons. Listen to sermons. Listen to sermons about Christ. Listen to sermons about heaven. Listen to sermons about eternity. You can go onto our church website. You can go onto our Focal Point website where Pastor Mike's sermons are housed. You can go onto other podcasts from other preachers that are out there and listen to their sermons and have your mind set on the things above. Have your mind filled with thoughts of Christ that are going to cause you to say, I want to be with Christ. Books. Pick up other books and read books about Christ. There's a book that, uh, that um, Rick Holland, sorry, Rick Holland wrote called Uneclipsing the Sun. It's about desiring Christ. Great book, Uneclipsing the Sun. Books about God. Read Piper's book, Desiring God. Or read the, the book by J.I. Packer, Knowing God. Reading books like that, they're going to stir your affection for, for God and for Christ and cause you to want to be with him. Piper's also got another book, students, that may appeal to some of you if this is a battle for you, and it's called this, When I Don't Desire God. It's a small book. You can get it on Kindle. You can order it on Amazon, When I Don't Desire God. It's a great book that helps evaluate what's going on in your life. Why are your affections not where hopefully you want them to be? Books, friends, 
If you want to desire Christ's presence, surround yourself with Christian friends. And don't just surround yourself with Christian friends, but pursue Christian conversations with those Christian friends. Talk about Christ. Talk about eternity. Talk about how great being in heaven with God is going to be. Direct your attention there. Prayer. Prayer is probably the bedrock of all of this. Pray and ask that God would increase your desire for Christ, increase your affections for Christ, cause you to want to be with him more, cause you to want to say with Paul, Christ is my life. And when he appears, I'm going to appear with him in glory, and I can't wait for that day. Pray that God would give you that mindset. And then I would also say, finally, pay attention. Check in with yourself on a day-to-day basis. Again, this is a daily pursuit. This is not a set it and forget it thing. This isn't the thing where you go, well, okay, I'm all set. I prayed the prayer once. I read my Bible a little bit more yesterday. Um, I listened to a sermon last week. I'm good to go. No, you need to check in with yourself and ask yourself daily even, is my affection, my desire for Christ growing? Do I want to to be with him more today than I did yesterday? If not, let's diagnose that. Why? Let's go back through some of the things that we just talked about. Are those things lacking in your life? Start with prayer and the word of God. Or maybe you'd say, yes, my desire today is is greater for Christ. Great. And I would say with the Apostle Paul, excel still more. Run harder after that. So that tomorrow you wake up and say, you know what? I want Christ more today than I did yesterday. That should be the trajectory of our lives. Christ changes everything. The resurrection, students, matters. Not just for your eternity. It matters for today. It matters for tomorrow. It matters for your day in, day out life. Because the resurrection sealed the gospel. It's the the stamp of God's approval on Christ's sacrifice. And it changes everything about your life. And now you've been united to his death in Christ. You will be united to his life as well so that you can walk in newness of life. So that the trajectory of your life is different. So that daily you can win the battle for your thought life and that your desire to be with Christ increases every single day. I pray, students, that you know those desires. I pray that you have victory in your thought life. I pray, students, that certainly that your life has been transformed by Christ. Let's do that right now. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that this week would be impactful for us as we think about the cross, as we think about the empty tomb, as we think about your resurrection, Jesus, as we think about, God, everything that you've done for us through the gospel. Thank you that you did not leave us in our sins, but you provided Christ for us. Help us to now live differently in response to what you've done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.